1: live. Week three of the Rocky Top Talk podcast. I'm Will Shelton alongside Joel Hollingsworth. We have both made it out of Bristol traffic and back to our respective homes. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. Uh, Tennessee's 2017 schedule was released tonight. We'll touch on that as well and look back and look ahead a little bit about what's going on. But the, the closest look ahead is Ohio coming into Neyland Stadium on Saturday, and we want to spend some time here Looking at the Bobcats. Uh, And to do that, we are joined by uh, Anthony Iwako, is from one of my favorite named SB Nation blogs, hustlebelt.com, covers the Mac. And he covers the Ohio Bobcats for them. And he's going to share with us a little bit tonight about Ohio and uh, what we can expect on Saturday. Anthony, thanks for joining us. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Love it. Love to talk. Love to talk some action. Absolutely. So, for a a lot of
1: Tennessee fans uh, like me, maybe saw a little bit of Ohio last year, different opportunities, but I haven't seen a single snap from you guys this year, and I would imagine most Tennessee fans uh, are the same way. Had the overtime game uh, with Texas State and then got the win over Kansas last week. So, just give us kind of a a general introduction to to this team, uh, how the season's gone thus far, and kind of your, your expectations for this Ohio team.
2: Well, the season didn't start off as planned for the Bobcats, that's for sure. No one really saw them taking a loss week one against Texas State. Oh, uh, you went in a three touchdown favorite, but was breaking in some new parts, which is really what this season started out. You know, coming off of camp, Sebastian Smith, the top target from last season out uh, wide, he uh, has got a nagging groin injury from camp. So we haven't seen much of him. And that didn't make it easy on Greg Wyndham, who's the new starting quarterback. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught it, but. Uh, with graduation last year for Darius Vick at quarterback and then the guy expected to start J.D. Sprague, he uh, had to leave the game due to a nagging injury and he's uh, no longer playing football. So Greg Wyndham was kind of thrown into the fire. And week one really had a good performance. Uh, that's probably the major storyline for OU this season would be the quarterback play. But also on the defensive side, they returned uh, basically everybody from the front seven. Real good against the run. And all four Defensive back starters graduated last year, so that's really what the question mark for Frank Solich and his and Jimmy Burrow's defense, the defensive coordinator for Ohio. They've been looking at the defensive backfield as kind of their question mark, and definitely in the first two weeks, it's shown.
1: When you look at Wyndham at quarterback, he he seems to have uh, very clearly a, a good dual threat ability. Only one interception to five touchdowns so far this year, averaging uh, r- just a little under seven yards per pass attempt. Uh, but then on the ground, uh, he has certainly been involved as well with what Ohio has wanted to do uh, offensively. Just share a little bit about what he does. Like you said, very very early with this team and leading this team. But what's what's his function and, and kind of uh, how much of the offense with Ohio relies on on him being that dual threat?
2: Well, yeah, uh, the dual threat is kind of something Tim Albin, the offensive coordinator, and Frank Solich both like to use a lot, and that's not just recently or this season with Wyndham that's been since the Tyler Tettleton days back in 2013, 2014. And then Darius Vick last year was a dual threat guy who was able to rack up quite a bit of yards and injuries kind of hurt the offense last season. And with quarterback injuries, they didn't really run uh, Vick as much. But Wyndham's a guy that's been in the system for a while now. Um, He's an older guy and he knows the system well and they don't, the offense doesn't run if they're not attacking the edge with the quarterback for sure. Um, helps open up a lot of lanes for um, Brown and Irons on the inside. Malik Irons and Dorian Brown are the two main runners for Ohio. And they really can't find lanes in this offense unless Pappy White in the slot is getting five to seven carries a game and Wyndham's attacking the edge on the outside. They really can't get much started.
1: There's, there's a good similarity there with Tennessee a little bit about how they use Josh Dobbs at quarterback, and then they've got kind of the, the workhorse back. But then the, I, I was going to ask about Poppy White. I've, so he's got 17 carries through two games, uh, you know, fourth most on the team in carries. But then out of, you know, in that slot or obviously listed as a running back. He's tied for the team lead in receptions with nine. So is am I assuming correctly that that they um, not only involving him in, in the run game to make that multidimensional, as you say, but, Has he truly been one of the biggest targets for for the passing game with Wyndham as well?
2: Oh, yeah. I think think a lot of people that cover um, not only the Mac, but OU and uh, specifically kind of laugh at that listing as running back (laughs) because I would say well over 85% of the time he's lined up in the slot. They do like to motion him into the backfield a lot or from the backfield out to the slot. They can do a lot with him. He is definitely the most versatile player to watch on this offense. Uh, If you want to watch big plays, Happy White's your guy. He's their big play guy that's going to make some dudes miss. Uh, in the Texas State game when it looked like OU was going to lose in regulation, Happy White ripped off a 75-yard touchdown reception, make, made three guys miss at one time and took it to the house. And he's really the guy they look for for big plays. But, yeah, they do like to give him carries. He's not hes not exactly a big guy at 5'9", 170. He's not really going to run it on the inside. That's what they got Brown and Irons for. But what they do like to do, usually you'll see three wide with this team, three wide, one running back, one tight end. A lot of different formations with it, but um, they like to motion him around behind and maybe send Brown or Irons across, say, to the right side, and they'll run the option, have a, a chance for an option to the left with Wyndham and Pappy, and they kind of got misdirection that way. A little bit more of a new school spread offense kind of triple option type offense.
1: When you look at Ohio on defense, and this is something Joel and I will talk about in the second half of the podcast, but Tennessee's biggest concern through two games has been the play of their offensive line. And you look at Ohio against the run, Tennessee's certainly a team that needs to to run to get things going. Texas State, 42 carries, but only 106 yards. That's two and a half per carry. And then Kansas just wiped out 15 carries for 26 yards. Uh, I believe seven sacks as well through two games. If, if Tennessee folks listen to this podcast are worried about the offensive line, how have you seen Ohio's defensive line, defensive front look here early, early in the year? Are those rushing numbers, rushing defense numbers, are they a byproduct of, of playing two teams maybe that really struggle running the football, or do you expect Ohio's run defense to be this good all year?
2: Oh, that's going to be all year. That's really what the Ohio defense is predicated around, and they were the same way last year. Um, The stats from last season, if you look up season stats from last season, the run defense stats, if you take out three games in the middle of the season, that's Central Michigan, Buffalo, and uh, Bowling Green, take those three games out where they're missing their middle linebacker, Quentin Poling, who was up for MAC defensive player of the year despite missing three games, lead tackler. With him in the middle and the defensive front seven healthy, this is a team that's very hard to run against. Uh, And they run into problems with that because they're open to the – It makes people want to pass against them, and they're not very good against the pass. Uh, The defensive backfield has struggled so far, but as far as Tennessee needing the run to get things started, if they're going to need the run to set up play action and down the field type plays, they're going to struggle this week against the defense, maybe a little bit more than expected for Tennessee fans in a top 25 school.
1: Yeah and I I think uh and again we'll talk more about this in the second half of our podcast but if if Tennessee wants to be vanilla uh to to not show Florida anything for the next week this doesn't necessarily look like the defense uh, that that some folks may assume uh that that Tennessee is just going to be able to line up and go right at uh, in terms of running the football so I think that's an interesting a really interesting component in this matchup the pass defense you mentioned kind of the other side of that coin has has really struggled uh this year when you look at what they did uh, and again some of these numbers just the raw data is inflated by playing multiple overtimes with texas state the texas state threw for almost eight yards per attempt 440 yards for the game and even kansas they only threw for 206 but had seven yards uh, per attempt is is there one particular component of of past defense that that stands out to you as, in terms of why ohio has really struggled in that area
2: yeah, and that's going to be the down-the-field passing game. They These uh, new DBs are very physical. They like to play at the line of scrimmage, and Jimmy Burrow likes to blitz a lot. He likes to bring pressure, whether it be Chad Moore, or Blair Brown off the edges, out of the linebacker position. Um, they don't need necessarily need to bring pressure. That's just something he likes to do. And towards the end of the Kansas game, we kind of saw him get away from bringing pressure uh, to, help the D, to help the DBs out a little bit in coverage because – Terrell Basham is um, in the front seven. He's a defensive tackle. He's now, after that sack last week, he's the leading uh, – he has the most sacks in, for a career in Ohio history. And they've got four guys that are equally as good across the board up front. So they don't need to bring pressure. But when they do, these DBs are on, on an island. Um, the corners and safeties really struggle down the field, covering more than three or four seconds when, when receivers get, do get that release after the initial jam that's where you're going to see Ohio struggle. And that's why Tennessee is going to need to get the running game going to open up play action down the field and to take some shots one-on-one. That's where Ohio is going to struggle the most.
1: And so maybe definitely some opportunity for, for uh, Josh Malone, who's caught long touchdown passes two weeks in a row, for Tennessee to get involved there again. You look at Frank Solich, 12 years now uh, at at Ohio. Tennessee ran into him and, and took a whipping from Nebraska in 1999 in the BCS. Uh, but I didn't realize until Butch Jones mentioned it in his press conference. Like I, I knew Solich had been solid and steady, but since Ohio went four and eight in 2008, Ohio's been bowl eligible every year uh, since then. Won their division in the MAC three times since 2006, eight and five last year. Uh, certainly sounds like had there not been some injuries, could have been even more there. Is, is this something you know Solich had his turn in, in Nebraska and and had the unfortunate luck of of following tom osborne there but you know this is an incredible uh, just consistent winning eight nine games getting getting ohio in position to play for championships it seems like he's just kind of you know i I never hear his name come up when other jobs come open and things like that this just seems like a a marriage that uh, has worked out really well for both parties and and is he you know is he interested in, in doing anything else or is he just kind of ohio's coach for life at this point
2: Oh Well, he is a little bit on the older side. Um, I don't see him moving much more in his career. And quite frankly, as long as Jimmy Burrow and Tim Alvin, his two coordinators, stay there, they've been there as long as he has. They came on with him. Uh, Burrow came from Nebraska with him in 2005. And so it's 12 years the three of them have been together. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that neither coordinator has moved on to another role and stayed here that, Gives that sense of security, and you're right. This is they're going on eight straight bowl eligible seasons. Um, if they are bowl, if they pick up that sixth one. They'll be bowl eligible for eight straight. And uh, he li- he likes Athens. He seems to enjoy being out of the limelight a well, lot. I mean, that's kind of his personality. He's not gonna. He's not the kind of coach that's gonna be about the flash or anything. He uh, I guess he gets that from back when he was a fullback in Nebraska, an undersized fullback back in the late '60s yeah, he he really does fit in at Athens, and the community really likes him, and he's got a good program going. So uh, I don't really see him leaving anytime soon. Yeah,
1: 72 years old. I guess I didn't realize how old he was as well. But, yeah, certainly. Is, is there, um, when you think about his teams, is there a particular kind of identity that, that they've had throughout the years? You mentioned the, the dual-threat quarterback is something that Ohio has stressed, at least in the last few years. Uh, is is there a particular kind of of fingerprint that Frank Solich has put on this team or or put on uh, on this program that's uh, that's been important to stress?
2: Well, one thing about the program that is important that goes um, kind of gets missed a lot is he's really made this team more well rounded on and off the field. Ohio has had a steady stream of academic All MAC athletes, but as far as on the field goes. Obviously, he's had eight uh, going on eight straight bowl-eligible seasons. Uh, He's brought a lot to the program. Uh, One thing that has really been his mark, like you said, is that dual threat, no-nonsense kind of offense. Um, They run downhill. There's not going to be a lot of fancy trickery to his offense, and that's just kind of his personality as a guy, Uh, sitting impressors with him, stuff like that. You know you pick up on things, and he's not going to be the flashy kind of coach. And one thing that his teams have – usually done pretty well with is uh, discipline. And that's one thing that Ohio has struggled with. They're they're allowing 99 yards a game just to penalties right now. And that's one of those things that really gets under his skin. I think a lot of that has to do with the the defensive backfield being young and the offensive line not being as experienced as they have been in the past. So discipline and, you know, the the on-the-field, off-the-field kind of stuff is what he's brought to the table for Ohio.
1: Now, something else Tennessee and Ohio have in common, and I think with both teams it's easy to kind of look at this and say, well, we don't know anything about them yet. Tennessee and Ohio, one of just 16 teams in the country that are plus six or better in turnover margin through two games. Now, Ohio's been dead on, three interceptions, three fumble recoveries, as opposed to Tennessee's incredible streak of recovering fumbles here with five on the year. But can you share a little bit just how those turnovers have – Uh, impacted the flow of both of those games? Did they come at crucial junctures? Were they particularly meaningful in in winning or losing for the Bobcats, or is it just kind of still random sort of data at this point?
2: Um, uh, A lot of it is random data, but, I mean, they have come when OU is struggling. OU, the defense has been known to give up drives this season, play well collectively for a game, but give up one or two drives. Then I can remember uh, the – Fumble recovery by Torin Davis was huge in turning around the game. And but the more important turnovers have been had. Maybe the most important turnover of the season was on the offensive side of the ball. Wyndham lost a fumble with two minutes left at the 50-yard line with possession up by one score against Texas State. And that allowed for the turnover led to a touchdown, which led to the overtimes. And oh, OU really had the game secure there. So turnovers are one thing that are huge for this team. And they're taking care of the ball well on offense. But the defense, uh, with, with the blitzing packages, and they like to bring a lot of pressure. And all three linebackers for Ohio are very good in pass coverage. It's, it's coming down to the defensive backs. You, like I said, the down-the-field pass game is something teams really like to go after and attempt with, against this OU team. And that's where those big, the big plays are going to come down the field. Kylan Nelson has really been the cover guy on the outside. Uh, he's got two of the interceptions, and Man Williams has the other one. Uh, but it's, they've been in those jump ball kind of situations. None of them have really been a solid jump throughout. They're making plays that on those 50-50 balls. Um, they're not the kind of DBs that are re- reading the defense especially well and putting themselves in positions for those. They're kind of being targeted and stepping up uh, after being challenged. Um, yeah, but the front seven is going to force a lot of fumbles. You'll see that from this team. Uh, They are some big hitters and some guys that are in the right spots, never more than three steps away really on a crossing route when someone's going underneath.
1: Just a couple more questions, and we'll let you go. You can check out Anthony's great work again at at, uh, hustlebelt.com, does all of their Ohio coverage. One thing you mentioned in the PC Road coming off the Kansas game uh, is is lots of great things for the Bobcats in that game, but is is this right, 14 negative yardage plays uh, against Kansas for the Ohio offense in that game?
2: Yeah, four. They were tackled behind the line fourteen times. A lot of that is on the outside kind of plays, and in quite frankly, I mean, from an outside perspective, it looks silly to me. Maybe there was reasoning for it, but um, I don't know. I think I put it in there. The one that stood out to me was a second and four. They ran uh Poppy White was out right in the slot, and they ran a toss sweep to him in the boundary after he motioned behind Wyndham. And he lost four yard or three or four yards to a third and seven, third and eight kind of situation when they had six on first. Um, those kinds of plays infuriate Solich. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if he's in. Uh, I don't know if he's in Alvin's ear about those or not. But I mean, they're they're the guys calling the plays, and they need. That's definitely one of the things that they're looking to clean up. That and the penalties are killing drives right now. But for the most part, all in all, this season they haven't really struggled to put together drives. They've made do with what they had on those negative plays. And they're doing a really good job of keeping their defense off the field. Right now they're third in the nation in time of possession, averaging thirty over 38 minutes on offense. Um, uh, in that Kansas game, I, I believe I put it in there, Kansas had 13 minutes and 30-some seconds of offense. They would have had to score three points a minute in order to score more than Ohio in that game. So really keeping other offenses off the field is what Ohio is looking to do this season and those negative plays really put that in jeopardy. They're trying to keep those – like I said, the young defensive – it always comes back to that young defensive backfield. Um, they're trying to keep those guys off the field as much as possible, uh, try not to expose that weakness, and the negative plays are allowing other teams to have chances.
1: So it sounds like what you're describing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that Ohio is going to run spread concepts, those kinds of things, but they – are not going to be in a hurry then to do it. If you're talking about winning time of possession by that much.
2: Uh, They are, they, they are definitely not in too much of a hurry. They, uh, they will huddle about half the time. You'll see them in shotgun essentially every time. Uh, I would say probably 90, 95% of their snaps are from the shotgun, but no, they are coming up to the line, checking out the defense, looking back over. Uh, Definitely. And Wyndham has a lot of control over this offense for a first year quarterback. He's, He's assessing at the line, making adjustments where he needs to, and getting the offense in the right play. And as a first year guy, I mean solich is not is not trying to wean him onto the offense at all. they're They're really giving him a lot of freedom with the offense, uh, which is obviously helpful for the quarterback, but it helps that he's not a first year um, he's not a younger quarterback, should I say? He's been in the system for quite some time now, so he he knows the offense inside and out and he's able to get them in good plays. As a, I mean, as a fifth-year senior, he knows Frank Solich's offense. Obviously, Solich has been here the entire time. He's been here, recruited him. Um, that helps a lot.
1: All right, Anthony, we'll get you out of here on this. If, if this is going to happen for Ohio, if they're going to come into Knoxville and pull this upset, is there one thing in particular that stands out to you that Ohio needs to do well or, or not do or whatever the case may be? What's, what's the biggest key for Ohio in trying to come in here and get this upset?
2: Oh, there's, there's, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be a, a lot's gonna have to happen right for Ohio to pull off upset, obviously in Neyland Stadium. But I would say the one thing they need to improve on from last week, other than the penalties and the negative plays, would be uh, kickoff coverage. It looks like, from what I see on paper, I have, I was only able to watch um, the Virginia Tech game, but as far as this season goes, it looks like Tennessee has done gr- a great job returning kicks, and Ohio has been. Pretty, pretty much pathetic at covering kickoffs. Kansas ran one back uh, last week. And in the halftime interview watching the game on TV, um, the sideline reporter asked Frank Solich what his team needs to get better at. And he, he even said it himself. He said, kickoff coverage looks dismal. And they really have. That's one of those things that they definitely need to get k- cleaned up if they want to have a chance. Because the defense has been doing solid all season, and against the run especially. Tennessee is going to have to try – pretty pretty hard to get something going on the ground against Ohio uh and yeah i mean that's bas- that's basically it The kickoff coverage is going to be huge
1: that's the that's the the best news tennessee fans have heard uh in this in this segment uh, to be sure uh certainly sounds like i, I think more of a challenge than the, from from tennessee perspective you play appalachian state and then you play virginia tech in this huge 150,000 person game and there's a tendency to say all right, now we got Ohio and we got Florida next week, but this, this has big-time trap game with some teeth, uh, I think, and maybe more teeth than fans are, are considering. Um, you, can, uh, you can check out more uh, about Ohio at hustlebelt.com. Anthony, any, any closing thoughts or anything more you want to add?
2: Yeah, I would say one thing that uh, Tennessee fans can look for is going to be a very similar game to Appalachian State. That's who Ohio had in the bowl game last year, uh, very close bowl game. Ohio lost on the last possession and Ohio is definitely better this season, I think, than they were last season. Um, Once we get to week six, week seven here, they should be. They have the potential. I don't know if it's going to come this week, but it's one of those things to look out for. It's going to be very similar to Appalachian State for Tennessee.
1: Yep, back to not feeling good about this at all. All right.
2: (laughs) Anthony, you can uh, can check
1: out Anthony at hustlebell.com slash Ohio hyphen Bobcats and Hustle Belt in general, fantastic for MAC coverage uh, and all that good stuff. But Anthony, great stuff, man. We uh, we really appreciate you taking the time and joining us this week. Thanks very much. Yep, thanks for having me on, guys. Joel, I was uh, I was feeling really bad there until we got to the uh, the kickoff coverage uh, portion, and that made me feel a little better. But uh, I, I like weeks when the guest makes me feel better about Tennessee's chances, and I, I you tell me that was not one of them for me.
0: <clears throat> um, isn't Barry hurt?
1: Yeah, there's that too. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, they have Kamara back there. They have Sutton. I I'm, I'm not uh, the drop off there is may not be quite so steep. Right. Um, but uh he, and we haven't seen, you know, he got one shot at it against uh against App State. I, did we return any kicks uh Saturday I think that's night the only here? One. Yeah. So uh, and they weren't unfortunately they weren't employing the old kick it out of bounds uh strategy either. So uh that's uh uh yeah, one Tennessee on the books for one for 41 yards uh and that's uh that's it. Uh I I am looking on the uh the stats here for only Tennessee and Marshall have recorded one kick return uh all year and that's it. So uh, nice. Yeah, oh. the good news is uh 40, 41 yards is still third in the nation. So
0: yeah, you know, uh, I, I I told you before we got on that I was going to wait to take my uh, NyQuil till we started the second half of the podcast. But when he started talking about App, App State, uh, actually, we just went ahead and did it. So, <clears throat> that, you know, everything he said was uh, actually kind of concerning. And before he even closed with expect a game like App State, yeah. um, I was thinking that anyway. I mean, good – Rush offense that's going to take a long time and, uh, you know, uh, squeeze the clock. <clears throat> um, and, you know, the the only thing that sounds like might be a weakness for them is pass defense, but uh, passing offense is not really our strength. So I think we're in for a long game. Maybe I don't know. I really don't understand this 27-and-a-half uh, point line.
1: Yeah, I'm – looking- same way on that
0: but Uh, you know App State I I hope we've learned I hope we've uh, discovered some things the 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 upside of it is that you know we hopefully we should still be able to out talent you know um and it might prepare us well for the SEC but it also all might uh wear us out you know so I don't know um those those stats are scary looking at their schedule from last year um you know the 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 one last record isn't that great but when he explains that they were missing a key player for three games there in the middle that's a concern much like learning that uh, the app state game against clemson was fluky um you know i th- I, th- I think this is uh, i think this is a game
2: yeah,
1: if you go back and look at their uh, their losses last year, uh this is a team that was uh I believe 8 and uh 8 and 4 regular season then lost the bowl game. Um and one of their losses at Minnesota was just 27-24. They yep. had the stretch he was mentioning. Uh, and and look, we played Bowling Green too, so we we know what that's about. Bowling Green beat them 62-24 and then they got beat by Western Michigan 49-14 and by Buffalo 41-17, all three of those games in a row. Uh, but then they rebounded to beat Kent. Uh, they shut out Kent State. They beat Ball State 48-31 and won at Northern Illinois in the finale before losing by two points to App State. So, yeah, it's it's a strange um, – Tennessee's just – this is a weird schedule. Uh, it's a weird schedule in a lot of ways, and and I'll stop saying that in November probably, but, um, you know, we, we've had the – we've tried to make the point in our comment section a couple different places this week that, when you're using national stats to describe Tennessee, Tennessee's played consensus. They've played two top 70 teams. And I think really we're probably talking about at the end of the year, Tennessee playing two top 50 teams in the first two weeks. And really no one else has done that. You know, there's I have a hard time coming up with other teams off the top of my head. Plenty of teams that played one really, really great team. And then a cupcake. Right. But um, you know, I, I think if, if, you know the the cupcakes are in cookville they're they're coming in november uh this this is not um you know th- this is not a cupcake team um and i thought the line i think most Tennessee fans when they saw that line thought oh, that's that's too high um so you know it it will uh this is going to be more of a test and, and i think other than the the not going fast portion Statistically and, and in what Anthony was saying, I think they're a, a lot like us offensively, with the the dual threat quarterback that passing, not necessarily a strength, a workhorse running back, and then an X factor. And and Poppy White for them has had a lot more success than Alvin Kamara has had for us thus far. Kamara had plenty of success last year and did have the big uh, the the big third and fifteen play uh, against Virginia Tech. But that's that's one of the reasons we wanted to have have uh, someone on to. Uh, to talk about the Bobcats, because this is, this is not a, um, I doubt we'll have someone on to talk Tennessee tech in November, but, um, this, this is not that game. Uh, so hopefully Appalachia <laughs> state is a, is a positive lesson, uh, for, for Tennessee in that regard.
0: Yeah. And, and one counterpoint, some of those stats also have to be inflated from a three overtime game. <coughs> sure. So and, and
1: played Kansas too. I mean, you know, all due respect to Kansas, um, yeah, uh, and, and I really think, and, and we'll get to this question later on, but I think the biggest advantage here or the biggest difference here is going to be Tennessee's defense and what they're able to do against, uh, against Ohio's offense. Because if Ohio had 14 negative yardage plays against Kansas from getting tackled behind the line, things like that, where, where you're not sealing an edge or you're not getting athletes to, to space and time, Um, if they try that against Tennessee, it's, it's going to be far more disastrous than it was against Kansas. So I mean, again, he's record speaks for itself. Um, so I I don't think he's, I don't think they'll willingly walk into the teeth of Tennessee's defense, but, uh, I, I think that could be the biggest, um, the, the biggest difference in what Ohio has seen in their first two games compared to what they're going to see here. Now, granted, I'm not studied up on the Texas state and Kansas defenses either. I'm assuming, but, um, Hopefully those assumptions are uh, are correct. So, uh, yeah. we will we will see. Um, any uh, any good uh, Bristol stories, Joel? Did you uh, you made it out uh, alive? Okay, and uh, and everything like that. Any any takeaways or or thoughts you want to share on the atmosphere and the event itself?
0: You know, the whole thing was awesome. They they did a great job. Uh, the event was spectacular. It was uh, you know the opening uh, pregame was just awesome they made a couple of uh, errors I think concessions were terrible at least where we were um, the crowd um, the traffic that stuff you know you sort of expected it going in so with expectations set- accordingly, it wasn't that bad i think the uh the most unique thing I saw was um Probably you know a couple thousand drunk people all singing this little light of mine on the way out, which was <laughs> interesting. I don't know what band that was, but that was that was interesting. So, how about you? Did what, did you have a good time there?
1: I did. So I um, I, I have heard um, I, there's 155 thousand people there. So when I say I've heard good stories and bad stories, it's just math, you know. Um right. Some somebody. Somebody had a great time and somebody had a terrible time when there's that many people there. Um, yep. You know, we, we, we took a bus from Knoxville. Uh, I will say shout out to the rally bus. Uh, it was one of the smartest football decisions I've ever made. Having, having not owning an RV and having never been to a race and not knowing what all to expect and all that stuff, we just took this bus from Knoxville and um, it, it worked out perfectly uh, in terms of not having to sit in post game traffic and uh and, and just not having to worry about any of that stuff. I thought that was great. You know oh, I thought, home the same time I did. Yeah, I got I got back to uh from Knoxville, Knoxville to Knoxville it was a thirteen hour day. We got on the bus at two fifteen and we pulled back into uh downtown Knoxville at about three fifteen in the morning. Uh and then I drove the other you know, hour to
0: Athens. But You actually uh, the, did get to Knoxville before I got home in Johnson City.
1: Yeah. Well, where we were, uh, you know, they they parked all these buses, dozens of buses uh, for this game, and they just parked them all together, and I had, had, many of you may know, I'm a pastor uh, by trade, and uh, I had already taken Sunday morning off, and and so was prepared for, for whatever, but we rode this bus, and so when we got back on the bus at like 12.30, my wife and I, I was resigned to like okay like we're we're gonna be in this parking lot till five in the morning and that's fine you know we, we got the wind we're on the bus we got Wi-Fi we got the 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 Cal San Diego State game on TV uh, on the bus you know it was all it was everybody was happy it was it was all good um, but at least where we were they they let the buses go before they let the vehicles go um, and then our bus driver was wise enough to do the down to Bluff City, over to Johnson City, up 26. I still, when we hit 81 at 26, I was still expecting bumper to bumper, uh, and it wasn't. We got out ahead of it. Uh, so uh, kudos to Steve, the bus driver, uh, for uh, for a great job there. But
0: um even leaving the know, way to behind, did he? Leaving that? Uh, no, not
1: not on our bus. Our bus was full of responsible adults, and thanks be to God for that. So um, because because <laughs> that. It was a strange... It's the first time I've taken a bus to any uh, sporting event, and uh, it was a strange sight as our buses pulling away to see people wandering through the convoy. Uh, I mean, dozens of buses and, yeah. that are moving faster in traffic than you expect because all these drivers are, are used to it. Um, yeah. and, and people wandering on foot through that stampede of buses looking for whatever bus has left them behind because they didn't get back in time or whatever. So... Uh, I, we we didn't have any of those people, uh, and uh, I'm thankful for that. So, um, you know, I, I will say we got caught – when we got to the game, uh, we got stuck in the Vol Walk, which, which is yeah. not at all the worst thing in the world to be stuck in. But somebody said – or I read somewhere they were talking about 70,000 people at the Vol Walk, and, and I don't know about that. That seems – you know, there there were at least a few Virginia Tech fans at the game, <laughs> So uh you know there I, I don't know if it was seventy thousand people, but it was enough that like we we had to wait on the volwalk and again i'm I'm not complaining about that. I just like you don't get that at home you know uh you can you can go around the volwalk if you need to in Knoxville uh, at at Bristol. Our choice was to walk around the the entire property or wait for the volwalk, and so we we waited and it was awesome and uh, and all of that but i you know I had not that was not even something I considered as a possibility that if you didn't get across the, the, uh, fittingly the orange bridge before yeah, the ball walk. Was... Yeah. That you were, you were just stuck there. Uh, but it, again, not the, not the worst thing in the world. Did you get to see part of that? Were you over there?
0: We must've been right next to each other or, or oh, really? <laughs> however long it took to get through there. Cause we got stuck too. We were just going to walk to the stadium, but weren't sure the best way to you know get to the right gate. So we sort of followed the crowd, and then we saw that the Volwalk was there. So I got a little shot of that as they were coming down the hill, and then I was going to try to sneak ahead of them, but you couldn't get through. Yeah. And then after they went through, they tried to bottleneck all those people over the orange bridge, and that was that was the worst part of the day. And it really wasn't all that bad. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's. I will also say, if you if you were not at the game and you were texting loved ones, that were Bristol Motor Speedway is where cell phones go to die. So, yeah. uh, no yeah,
0: I just, my phone else. just posted two pictures I took at the game without my knowledge, <laughs> <laughs> it was just waiting for a good connection.
1: <laughs> I would get every, every once in a while, I would get a text randomly that was like, uh, you know, huge thunderstorms coming your way, which is one of my great fears in life because I was in a tornado when I was a kid. And so I'm frantically trying to pull up the radar on my phone. And I mean, I can't even get a pixel. Just, you know, and, and thankfully nothing happened. Uh, and I didn't realize until I went back and watched the telecast where they actually showed the radar that, that that's, you know, the the grace of God or, or the geography or both that, uh, that that storm didn't roll through there. But uh, yeah, that was, that was not, you know, I had lots of lots of texts from various people saying, Oh, send us a picture of where you're sitting. And, and I think those pictures were sent via the bus wifi somewhere around like Morristown. So uh yeah that was uh don't uh, work on your self service uh is is about the only uh the the only thing I have to say uh, about that
0: but uh um, concession. yeah concessions were yeah, terrible.
1: Ours was okay. Now we sat in we were I I bought tickets on the resale on Ticketmaster and so uh we were unintentionally in a Virginia Tech heavy section and concessions weren't that bad uh where uh, where we were i've heard horror stories from from folks of uh, of getting crunched at the gate trying to go in and i mean we walked right in uh so i you know it may some of these things may have been a different experience if you weren't sitting in a virginia tech heavy section maybe that's just random i don't know but um it was uh i i i was just overwhelmingly pleased, uh, with the whole, the whole experience, uh, would, would not be brave enough to try that without the bus, but, uh, with the bus was, uh, was certainly a, a great time. Uh, and, and hopefully that's kind of, I think, and, and got the right result, of course, too. I think that's kind of everyone's major takeaway from the game. Uh, so.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we didn't take a bus. Um, we just parked at a campground there and got there about two thirty put up a tent, took a nap and some camp chairs, Walked over about five, and then when we walked back, it, the walk really wasn't any different than the walk back from Newland. And um, just knowing that it was going to be packed out there, I just we slept in the car for like an hour, and then I took off at about two. So, and by that time, traffic had thinned out enough that we had smooth sailing all the way home.
1: Nice. Yep. Cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll see if they run that back. Tennessee Tennessee has an ominous. Not ominous, but there's a there's a hole in Tennessee's 2019 schedule that is yet to be filled, which is unusual. Uh usually Tennessee fills those those things uh more than three years in advance. Uh, though I guess this one was was three years on the nose uh, that they stuck it in there. But they've got they got Georgia Tech uh, in uh, in the Falcons new place next year. They've got West Virginia and Charlotte in eighteen. And they've got the home and home with Pittsburgh in twenty and twenty one, but there is a uh, there's a hole in the schedule in nineteen, and so I have wondered if they might try to fill that with Bristol again, or if they've got something else in mind. So we will uh, we'll we'll I'll be interested to see if they want to run that back, uh, or or run it with you know um, Clemson or. Um, somebody some other fan base uh other than virginia tech uh that that would that would do the necessary have the fans that would take the rvs and do the camping and, and the stuff you have to have to make that thing work um certainly any number of sec schools would do that but i don't think anyone's moving one of those games up there so um you know clemson, clemson came to mind i don't picture like notre dame i don't picture an rv crowd there but maybe again that's a that's a false assumption but uh I'll be interested to see if they, if they decide to run it back. Um,
0: yeah, any, any that go would ahead, be interesting. I, I don't know whether, I think that'd be really risky to try it again. Um, just cause there's a lot of people that would, that sort of had to go because they thought it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. And, and then there were still a lot of people that just no way I'm staying out of that mess. Um, and so the second time around, you're going to see a lot more of that, I think. And I think with as much as it costs to turn that place into something else, um, I think they probably have to get fairly close to selling it out. I don't know. It just sounds really risky to me. But they have the numbers, and they'd know better than me. So.
1: And for the record, I'd be fine if that's what it was. Like, It would be cool to say we won the only one of these, and we have a record that's unchallenged until – Bama decides to play one at Talladega where no one can see, but they just come to to spite us. So, um, you know, I, I would be okay with that too. Yes, uh, that would. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, so, just a couple more things on on Tennessee here. Um, what do you have? Kind of a a thing. Here is what I said coming out of Bristol, and I wrote a little bit of this. It's hard for me to take major takeaways from this game because Virginia Tech turned it over so many times. So, yep. like, yes, I know we can beat Virginia Tech by four touchdowns minus a garbage touchdown um, when they turn it over five times. Sure, great. Uh, if, if that wasn't the case, then, then we would have a whole other set of questions. Um, but beyond that, the game is so the, – the flow of the game was so weird uh, because of the fumbles – you know, you you can simultaneously make arguments for Tennessee beat them by 21, but should have beat them by 35, and you can make the argument that Tech was driving to cut it to one score there when they fumbled early in the fourth quarter. So there's there's a lot of ifs uh, in there that that too many for me to pick and choose here in the second week of the season. So I I don't know that um, we learned a whole lot. Uh, about Tennessee in this game, which normally with a team with this much returning, you would just go back to last year and say, oh, we're fine, but you've got the App State game as the only other data point. So is is there something with this team that you are, like, most confident in? Like, I, I am – Jalen Hurd is Jalen Hurd. That's that's He's going to do his thing. He's not going to break 70-yard runs. We, we had some great stats on this on our site today. But he's going to get you not just tough yards, but he's going he's to make the offensive line – look better uh, than than they are and what they are has not been particularly great but uh, i i am i am confident in in him being able to go get tough yards he did that a lot against florida last year tennessee's going to need that in these games uh, i'm i'm fully confident in that particular dynamic being the same or better than it was last year after that i don't know necessarily where to to you know get my finger on the on the pulse of this team's identity or anything like that just yet and maybe that's okay. I mean, it's, it's week two, regardless of who we've played. But is is there something for you that stands out in terms of being confident or feeling confident in saying, this Tennessee team does this well? You got anything like that?
0: Um, Dobbs runs well. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, when, when, when he's part of the game plan to run, um, I like the offense. Um, and then – thing that I, th- I, I think there is sort of a takeaway that you can get from here even without all the fumbles and the good field position that came from the fumbles um, the fact that we did decide to go ahead and use Dobbs um, uh, the best way possible but also that he did connect on not just one but two deep passes for touchdowns this time am I remembering that right? Uh, were there two or just uh, just the one in the end zone? Well, there... uh,
1: the pass to Kamara was covered deep yardage. I think it was twenty four yards, but it was not a you know a quote unquote deep pass. It was a a bailout to Kamara who was inexplicably uncovered, <laughs> and uh, and then he did the rest <laughs> of the thing himself. So I, I would call it definitely an explosive pass play, but not a not a, a deep. There's a catch and run,
0: you know. Yeah, okay. Um, But, you know, at least seeing that two games in a row um, makes you feel a little bit better about than last year. That was one of the questions coming into this season. Did we have a deep threat? And, you know, one uh, touchdown in the first game against App State can be kind of a fluke too, begins to make you think that, hey, maybe there is something here. If we see it again this week, um, it's Ohio, so maybe, maybe not. But I am feeling better about the ability in the passing game to, to stretch the field than I was. I mean, we still need to do a lot, you know, better. Um, passing game still um, is a bit stagnant. Um, but I think there is possibility there. So there's yeah, I mean, that. I...
1: I feel like I have said the phrase a lot, um, I'm glad they tried that. Like passes yes. that even that didn't work, incompletions, downfield, uh, yep. not, not interceptions downfield, but incompletions, passes that were thrown. He threw a lot of those to Preston Williams, I feel like, um, Saturday. that didn't get caught, but they were at least uh, attempts threw another one in the, in the end zone to Jawan Jennings that didn't get caught. Like, we're, we're at least trying it, it seems like, more. Had the long one to, to – uh, uh, you'll be listening to this sometime on Wednesday. I've got Josh Smith as most important vol this week because he's only caught one pass so far this year. But they they had the one to him that replay overturned against Appalachian State. So I do feel like they're trying it more. And and I think, again, I agree with you, we can't, we can't overlook the fact that Dobbs, uh, as as ugly as things have looked, sometimes he has he and Malone have connected on two huge plays um, to, uh, to to get things turned around. I, I know people want to talk about the fumble in the Virginia Tech game, the first fumble when we were down fourteen nothing being the most important play, but you know again fumbles can be kind of random. The the Malone touchdown uh, to me was was the play that, that got me most excited. Uh, and, and I wrote about this after the game that like that that was the one to me that that helped show that Tennessee was uh w- was gonna be okay in that game Saturday. And so I think those are two good um two, two good data points to say, yes, yeah, some things, you know, look look uglier. I again go back to your metaphor, Joel, of of trying to tweak trying to fix things without breaking other things. So again, offensive line may have looked more fragile. But we have been more successful throwing the deep ball um, than, than we were last year, and just in the first two games. And I think that's that's definitely something to uh, to note and and to look for going forward. And against Ohio, if if what we're hearing from from Anthony here is correct, and if Tennessee doesn't try to do some of that stuff, then we may be banging our heads against the wall for four quarters
0: uh, with these guys.
1: What was the yeah. other point you were going to make?
0: Well, actually. Th- let me say one more thing about that. It's not just that they were deep passes to receivers, but it was that they were uh, 50-50 balls that the receivers won. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that Malone catch in the end zone, um, that was covered well, and he just won the battle there. And then even the Jennings touchdown, the first one, um that wasn't a deep pass, but that was a perfect fade, which you know, last year, I would have wondered about. We missed most of those, you know, and he just he came down with it, you know so um, but the other point I was going to make too is the thing that I'm watching now just to see whether it's a pattern or not. We've seen it in two games now is that the defense um, seems like they take some time to figure out what's going on. And then once they get a beat on it, they're really good. Um, but they take a couple of drives or two or three to really get a feel for what's happening. Um, I don't know whether that was fluky.
2: Um,
0: we'll see. But, I, you know, I like the fact, if it's true, I like the fact that we have uh, a defensive coordinator uh, who can adjust um, during the game, during the half, you know, not even at halftime, but, you know, in the game. Um, because we, it seemed like we were sort of missing that before. Um, but you also hope that somebody like that would also have a good plan coming in.
1: Right, so. yeah. One of one of my friends that played at Carson Newman said that it's like Shufa's going, Ah, we'll figure it out when we get there.
2: Yeah. And,
1: <laughs> and that's uh, <laughs> the and that's kind of how it's gone uh, the first the first two weeks. Where at the end of the first quarter, you think, "Oh my God, we're going to give up 50. and then yeah. the rest of the game, we gave up zero to App State and three in, in before backups came in to Virginia Tech. So, um, yeah. yes, I, I too would like for him to uh, to to get that going a little sooner, and I'm sure Butch Jones would as well. But uh, I, so far, kudos to whatever percentage he's figuring out once he gets there uh, has uh, has has been good. So, um, is offensive line still where most of this conversation about this team getting better has to start? Like, I, I, we had this conversation uh, two years ago when a lot of these guys were freshmen and just getting started, Coleman Thomas, all these guys. And we said, this is towards the end of the Justin Worley era, that is it oversimplification just to say, as long as Tennessee's offensive line is this bad, it's hard to be better at at much of anything else. Now, this group is not that bad. They, they, one, they've got a mobile quarterback, but two, they're, you know it's not target practice on the quarterback on every play like it was with Worley. Um, but you know I, I just feel like for, for all of the all of the ways in which we want to get frustrated or people want to get frustrated, whether that's with Debord or with, with Dobbs and, and Dobbs, I mean at this point you've you got to kind of. You know, we've seen this kid for four years. You, you're kind of, you know, he, he is who he is, and uh, many of those things are excellent. Um, but he's, he's not Peyton Manning, and he he's not, didn't magically manifest into him during the offseason. Um, and, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of the same stuff from DeBoard. But I just think there's a possibility here that we have to say, well, look, even wide receivers that are winning 50-50 balls, that's, that's great, that's an improvement. But if this offensive line is not going to protect then there's only so much more else uh, that that we can do. Is, is that is that still where the conversation about improvement starts for you with Tennessee with with offensive line? Is that oversimplification to say we we got to fix that and then maybe some of this other stuff will fall into place?
0: I think it's the the point of most obvious uh, room for improvement. The the thing that's perplexing about it is that not much has changed since last year, and yet um, they seem to be much worse. Yeah. Um, you know, only Kirbyson has changed, right? Yeah. Um,
1: and Matt, so, Matt Crowder was a backup last year, but that, I, I wouldn't count that as a significant change.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, Coleman Thomas was a really good center last year, I thought. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Maybe he's dinged up. Um, maybe there was something – um, that off-season study has, um, you know, sort of getting the book on a pitcher, you know. Maybe they figured something out. I don't know. Um, but it's just it's really weird that they seem to have regressed. And you don't usually expect that from an offensive line because the way you measure the power of an offensive line is by starts, you know. Yeah. I mean, how much experience do they have? Um, so – I really don't know I, and unless it goes back to that thing that we keep talking about. And that is that they know that the one thing that they needed to improve on the offense was the deep passing threat. So maybe, you know, did they work on that too much? Did they do something that changed the way these guys play and sort of broke that in the process? Um, I don't know, maybe they're just doing the same thing and, and using different play calls. Maybe they realized last year that um, the the line isn't as good as they will be or we want them to be, and so we need to do this to uh, account for it. So we, we roll out, we use misdirection, we use Camara and Herd, in there at the same time so that nobody knows where it's going and we slow everybody down. And maybe they decided this year that they didn't need to do that. Um, maybe they're learning that they still need to do that. Um, <laughs> right. So I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. I hope to get it figured out, but something is strange there.
1: Yeah. And I feel like this week too, like it, it's, unless Tennessee messes around and loses to Ohio it's it, or, you know, Florida somehow messes around and loses this week, which uh, I can't even tell you who they're playing off the top of my head. Uh, so probably not. But um, if it's, it's shaping up to be what everybody kind of thought it would be anyway, which is you come into the Florida game, Tennessee handles Ohio and you really, really learn what Tennessee's got in that game. I, I think, there was a chance to learn it Saturday, but again, you just can't, they fumbled five times. I'm glad they did, um, but I just have a hard time saying with, with confidence, good or bad, confidently what we're good at, confidently what we're not good at, beyond offensive line looks worse and, and must improve, and Dobbs is still Dobbs. Um, it's, it's hard to get a read on this team, and it's, it's still hard to get a read on, uh, on Shoop in a lot of ways. That's kind of my hope with not just Ohio, but going forward, is, yeah, Tennessee's offense may, may, if they want to come out and be vanilla and keep Dobbs healthy, they, they may beat their heads against the wall against Ohio. But Ohio may, again, App State scored nothing after that first burst, and Virginia Tech scored three. Um, so, you know, Tennessee's defense may have an opportunity to look great uh, on Saturday, now you got the Darren Kirkland situation, so that'll be interesting to see what they decide to do there. Um, but uh, you know, e- even that, I just feel like unless something strange happens this week, or or suddenly Tennessee shows up and blows out Ohio by sixty-five points, um, right. I, I think we're just going to come to next week and and be sitting here a week from now on this podcast saying we're getting ready to learn a whole lot, um, and, uh, and 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 that's the point. I I don't know. We will, uh, we'll see. We'll find out what, uh, what Tennessee's got in that thing uh, going forward. Um, yeah, real quick to point out, uh, go ahead, Joel.
0: That's a good point. I wanted to say one quick thing about the fumbles too. There's been a lot of discussion about how much of fumbles is fluky, how much is luck, how much is talent, you know? <clears throat> and I think it's, you know, it's a lot of different things, but I remember hearing Dobbs. I think it was after the Upstate game. Somebody was asking him about, I guess it was Hurd, falling on that fumble in the end zone, right? And he was like, yes. "No, you know, I I knew what was happening. We 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 practice all the time, cover down." And and he mentioned that phrase um, like three or four times in his forty-second answer, cover down. And I was like, "What is what is cover down?" And I think after hearing it for the fourth time, I think what he was saying is they're taught to play to the whistle, you know, to, to cover the play until the ball carrier is on the ground and still has the ball. So, you know, I think there is a little bit maybe more skill than we really realize that these guys have been conditioned to watch for fumbles all the way to the end so that they're ready in case they get the opportunity.
1: Good point and and certainly one that has helped and can help Tennessee uh going forward. Yeah, there's there's plenty of uh, Bill Connolly had another piece today about and he's a big proponent of, you know, fumbles once the ball hits the ground are 50-50 and Tennessee has recovered uh I think 10 out of 12 uh in these games. So, um, you know, certainly uh something that uh that, that Tennessee, you'd like to fumble less from their perspective, uh, but also can't rely on that. But neither can Ohio. That's, that's the thing, too. Ohio has also been fortunate with field position and fumbles, and, and I'm not sure that that's going to manifest itself Saturday either. Um, real quick, just uh, uh, 30 seconds on uh, on Tennessee's schedule next year. Uh, I, I think whoever made that schedule listened to everyone that griped about this year's schedule and then said, okay, Because this year, you got the four most difficult games in a row, Florida, Georgia, Texas A&M, Alabama. And now next year, the four most difficult games on the schedule, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and LSU comes to Knoxville in the rotation next year, uh, are all spread apart uh, and and pretty well and in some interesting kinds of ways. Um, Tennessee will go to the new, we're not going to call it the new Georgia Dome because that place is bad for us, Um, but the uh, Mercedes-Benz, Falcons Dome or whatever they're going to call it uh, to play Georgia Tech on Labor Day. Uh, But then there is, with, with the possible exception of playing South Carolina on October 14th and then having to turn around and go to Tuscaloosa, we'll see what South Carolina is like next year. There's gaps really with everything else. Florida is bookended by visits from Indiana State and UMass. Georgia is bookended by UMass and a bye week. Alabama is bookended by South Carolina and Kentucky. And then you get LSU on November 18th, the next-to-last game of the season, the old Kentucky spot uh, that's been occupied by Missouri for the last couple of years. Missouri gets bumped up one week, and that means LSU is bookended by Missouri and Vanderbilt. And so there's a, there's a nice cushion uh, there between all those games. And, and the point I made when we wrote this up real quick is that we're not used to having that, that late November thing where we look at and say, that's a huge game. So next year, you know, even if Tennessee navigates the Florida-Georgia portion of the schedule, you're, you can't say – like this year, we feel comfortable in saying, if Tennessee beats Florida and Tennessee beats Georgia, they're almost certainly going to win the East. Next year, when you've still got Alabama and LSU floating around out there, like that's a, that's a tough – uh, we're we're going to say if we can beat LSU a lot next year. So um, I just uh, I thought that was a really interesting kind of um, – I'm not complaining. I don't, I don't mean to call it an overcorrection in a negative way, but it's very different than the schedule that Tennessee just saw and will be a very different fan experience to have such a huge game um, in the, in the next to last week of the season. So uh, we look forward to welcoming our friends from LSU on November 18th of 2017. Joel, any thoughts on that or, or anything else on the balls this week?
0: No, I kind of like the look of it. Um, it would be nice. You know, we're used to coasting in uh, November. Although yep. I think maybe that's an old memory.
1: <laughs> it's a, pre, a pre-Missouri memory, memory certainly.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it will be nice. You know, I'd, I kind of wish it, I don't know, uh, the, the other thing is I'm wondering how good LSU is going to be next year. Um, I mean, did we draw the, the two strongest teams again? Um, so, I don't know. Those are my first thoughts. I, I'm just looking at it for the first time right now. So
1: Everyone on Twitter when we posted that, not everyone, but the responses that we got on Twitter were, you know, <laughs> instantly, well, it depends on who LSU's new coach is. So, uh, <laughs> you know, not not a lot of faith in the hat. Uh, From that direction, uh, which is not surprising given the way things have gone to start the year for them, but we'll see. Still zero and zero in SEC play is LSU, so who knows? They can
0: still rebound. I I was real high on them uh, heading into the season, and I don't know that uh, the Ellet Wisconsin thing really kills that. I don't know. We'll see.
1: New quarterback got in some action last week, so maybe that will. That that was my that and just general weirdness with uh miles is is my reason for not being so high on them but yeah a lot of a lot of football left to be played uh for for everyone only really only Kentucky at this point uh do do we look at and say yeah those guys are uh those guys are probably done so um (laughs) or, or at least I do that Phil Steele does this ranking every week of, you know, which who had the absolute best. Uh, some other people do this too, Connolly and some others, of who had the absolute best performance uh, of the week. And, of course, uh, the Florida Gators last week, the best performance in the nation in, in just blowing the doors off of a Kentucky team that uh, I also saw on Twitter today is looking at something like a $17 million buyout if they fire Stoops and all of his assistants at the end of this year. So, yeah. you know, good luck with that. And uh uh-huh. and hope hope you win some basketball games there, but uh, uh that is a steep price. That. Do what?
0: Basketball can pay for that, right?
1: I've it's a revenue sport, but I don't I don't know how much revenue it's uh it's it's drawn in there. Maybe they can get Cal to cut a check there and uh, and help him out, but man, that's a that's a steep not even Tennessee has paid a bio like that. Not <laughs> not to one not to one coaching staff anyway. So uh We'll uh, we'll see what happens there.
0: That's what they get for stealing our checkerboards. They're you know, trying to strike right. us. They're going to have to pay some buyouts to you know, <laughs> keep up. That's good. That's good. All
1: right, we'll talk plenty about the Gators next week. Uh, our thanks again to Anthony Alaco. Uh, again, uh, hustlebelt.com is the SB Nation MAC site. If, if you have any love for any one of the many MAC schools, they have got great coverage there. Um, you can find all of their Ohio coverage, which is mostly Anthony, at hustlebelt.com slash Ohio hyphen Bobcats. Uh, really good, um, just, just good write-ups of both of their games that kind of helped. If if you, like me, have not seen a, a single down of them this year, uh, really helpful. And uh, he was helpful and in, uh, in, in increased my blood pressure a time or two there uh, tonight. So oh, that's, really good. Uh, that's, that's good. But uh, check out Anthony's work there. Uh, and uh, we will have plenty of great stuff. Our thanks to uh, all the all the guys on our site that have been doing. Uh, th- there's lots more uh, advanced stats and math uh, on the uh, on the site, which I am happy to let someone else handle. Uh, so lots and lots of good pieces about Tennessee's explosiveness and what we mean when we talk about average yards per carry uh, and things like that coming out of the uh, Virginia Tech game. So you can check that stuff out on our site. Uh, as well right now. We'll have plenty of coverage leading up to Saturday's noon kickoff as well against Ohio. And, of course, lots of fun stuff for the Gators next week. Our thanks to you for listening. You can find old podcasts anytime at TalkShoe or on iTunes. Our thanks again to Anthony Alaco. For Joel Hollingsworth, I'm Will Shelton, and this has been the Rocky Top Talk podcast.